This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. And welcome to the Vedic Wisdom. Thank you for being with us today. I'd like to talk to you today about the idea of saving a soul. And you hear this in religious institutions. You know, you're supposed to save the souls, you know, and reclaim the souls. And, you know, oh, I tried to save him, but yeah, he may not have been savable. All these different things. And I think that what bothers me when I hear it is, well, there's two things about it, I think. One is that it makes you think you can't do it yourself. And two, it makes you think, well, wait a minute, what's the soul and who's not the soul? And what's the definition here? And what, what's really this platform we're talking about? So I want to give you the Vedic uh, literature's perspective on this. And that is, what we're facing in the material world is basically misconception. That everybody has the perspective that I'm this particular person, body, mind, etc., and I have a soul. And if I don't do good and be good, I can lose my soul. And therefore, these religious uh, evangelists, they're going to save my soul for me. And the concept of lost versus saved is like irreparable. Either you get it right or you get it wrong and there's no other way about it. That's that. I think some of this has to do with fear. It has to do with the concept of making you fearful that, oh, I might lose something or things might not be retrievable. And therefore, I better act accordingly. I mean, this is back to the fire and brimstone preaching of the last centuries where uh, I mean, the crusades were fought on the point of view of here's the Bible in one hand and here's the sword in the other. Which one do you want? And the same thing with many of the missionaries. It was, oh, you're heathens. You're, you're doomed. You're condemned. Uh, you have to come to this particular religious belief or there's no hope. You lose your soul. Well, I think this is more in propagating organized religion than it is actually helping the individual understand, well, what's to be saved or what's to be lost or what's really at stake here. Now, the Vedic literature has a clear understanding for you. That that whole thing, all of that, is really a misconception. Because starting at the root definition, that's what's wrong. You are not this particular person with a, with a soul. You are the spirit soul. And you temporarily have this particular bodily form. You're energizing it, driving it, using it as a vehicle. You give, you're given senses, working organs, arms, legs, mouth. You're giving working facilities. You're giving information uh, accumulating facilities. You're giving contemplation facilities. You're, you're given all this correlation abilities. All these things are resources of the body that you as a living entity are employing. Now we come down to employing how? Well, you're either employing it for your betterment or not. We all know that you can do something stupid and end up dead. 
you can touch electric wire. You can trip off the curb in front of a vehicle. You can, oops, and it breaks. The particular body you have breaks, and it can't be repaired. But according to the Vedic literature, that is not true of the soul. It cannot be cut. It cannot be burned. It cannot be moistened. It cannot be divided. It cannot be harmed in any way by any weapon whatsoever under any circumstances. The soul, you. Now, the body that you're driving at this point is your, is your vehicle. Yeah, all those things can take her out. All those things can cause uh, difficulty or end of its working of lifetime. So, in the Vedic literature, the idea of saving a soul is much different. The idea in Vedic literature of saving someone is really education. You need to understand the correct definition so you know who you are. I mean, there's many, 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 many examples of people saying, I'm eternal. You are eternal. Well, great, but I don't feel eternal. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Five days, no sleep and no food. I don't feel very eternal. So, um, do you understand that you're the eternal living entity? And you're in this temporary body, and the body gives you all these feelings and sensations and conceptions. That is a clear definition. You can then see a different perspective. You can have a broader perspective of, okay, what is happening to me? What is happening here? What is the result of this or that type of activity? And am I developing or am I achieving what I really need? Now, this is another subject that comes up here. I'll just touch on it briefly, and that is many people think, oh, I need that thing. Oh, I want that thing. And they get that thing, and it's great for a day or two, and then, hmm, now I need this thing, and now I need that thing. So that's not really helpful. That's not the point. The real point is when you're in the body, the sensations and the conceptions and the emotions and all of that of the body are impacting on you. You become fearful. A big bang, and you jump. There's so many things that are going on in, in, uh, in relation to the body. And, but they affect you because you're getting all the sensations, you're feeling it all, you're so completely intimately connected to the body experience. So, <clears throat> the situation is that the living entity is fulfilling different desires and experiencing different things and experiences he, he so wishes and he's either enjoying or suffering the results. Now the point that comes in now that you have to take into account and this is always neglected in an evaluation of what is the, what constitutes a life is that you either suffer or you enjoy for the quality of your actions on a lifetime basis. The activities you perform in this life will come back to you in the next life. So you're working on a cycle basis. And if you're very good, your next life, you know it's going to be very good. And if you're a terrible person, you know the next life is going to be terrible. And if it's a mix, it's pretty well going to be that kind of mix. And it's a matter of you sorting out, uh, that's not a good thing, I'm not going to do it. Maybe you don't even remember how far back you experienced it and found out it's not a good result if you do that. <laughs> or, wow, doing that is wonderful. I couldn't, couldn't have had a more uh, beautiful experience than doing that particular act.
So you separate the good from the bad, the right from the wrong, the beneficial from the not beneficial to your own position, your own objectives. So this is what we have to do. We have to get free from this repetitive cycle. Because the highest enjoyment that we can have is when we're not in the material body anymore. When we're actually in our spiritual body. The spirit living entity is spiritual, a different substance than material. And the spiritual person has a spiritual body and it's in this and it's covered by this material lump. But to get back in contact with your spiritual reality, to get in contact with your spiritual awareness, and to understand what to do in spiritual consciousness is the path out. So the saving of the soul is education. Now, I don't mean material knowledge. How do I take a computer apart? No, no. I'm talking about actions, actions and reactions, about uh, purpose. What is your reason for doing this? Are you sincere or are you faking or are you lying? The sincerity is what is being monitored. Every individual has free will and you're not being stopped from doing something good or bad. But the sincerity, the right intent is being noted on every decision we all make individually. And it's being collected individually. So that you get the results of your actions, I get the results of my actions, and everyone else down the line the same thing. So it isn't really that I'm going to save your soul. I'm working on saving my own conscious awareness platform. I'm working on relieving myself from the cycle of birth and death. I don't necessarily have the ability to save you. You have the ability to save you. And how is that going to happen? Well, it isn't going to happen by me yelling at you. It isn't going to happen by me telling you what to do. It's going to happen by you and I both being educated by someone who is a self-realized, fully realized soul. This is where we come to the heart of the different religions on the planet. Now, they've been turned into materialistic, organized religions, and that's another aspect that I, I, you know, we know that isn't it. But the essence, the teachings that help one liberate himself from misconceptions and the cycle of birth and death, those are the essence of a particular religious practice. And in general, they all have truthfulness as the root and they all have knowledge beyond the material body that is the heart that is what really gives you uh, a step up and they all have a purified liberated fully conscious being at the top guiding it's just like a train there is one engine umpteen cars as many as you want to stick on there and they're all being pulled by the engine, which has the power. Similarly, in the religions, you find there's the Muhammad and the Christ and, and the Prabhupada and on and on and on. These are empowered beings, specially empowered, specifically unique beings who tell it to you in such a way you can understand it, who encourage you in such a way you want to achieve it, and who guide you if you slip and fall and help you back up. They give you methods, reasons, understandings, hope, faith to become 
free from your bodily identification and to actually see, think, and experience on that spiritual platform as an eternal living entity in a temporary situation trying to fulfill desires, satisfy his understanding. So to save a soul really means to give them guidance and give them someone to follow who knows the path. Uh, we've talked about before in our program the idea of someone who can't see can't lead others. But someone who can see can lead a whole lot of others. And we see that in their everyday life. That the person who knows the subject is usually called the teacher. And everyone else is a student in some concept or another. But they're still learning from the one who knows. And they're still uh, sharing that information, making use of that information, and employing it to their best self-interest. Well, this is exactly what is required. And it's happening over and over. You think about it. It's thousands of years have gone by and the same thing happens through those thousands of years. Well, that's not an error. It's not a mistake. It's not odd. It's not a uh, uh, coincidence. This is because it's a methodology. And the methodology for saving a soul is that there is a spiritual master, a spiritual guide. And that individual has seen everything in proper perspective and is able to explain it to you without adulteration. Now, we see that as soon as you enter into the organized religion thing, man's hand gets in there and stirs the pot and tries to get you to be concerned about oh, you doing what they want you to do, doing what is, is expected of you, uh, complying with their particular perspectives or rules or regulations or donating to them. It goes on and on and on and on and on. But in actuality, the religions that have a spiritual master who is simply imparting knowledge selflessly, he's not asking, he's giving. And he's not dictating, he's guiding. The, the spiritual master doesn't force you to do anything. He simply suggests, and he lives the path of enlightenment himself. So as an example, as a teacher, as a guide and a well-wisher, the spiritual master is there in all the major religions, bona fide religions, for the same purpose. It's a selfless job, a selfless task. And generally speaking, the people, they want something more, or they still attack them or hassle them. But if the enlightened people, they realize that without the guidance of a spiritual master who is realized in the art and the science of love of God, we all end up falling down into our material conceptions of being the body and everybody connected to the body is a relative and all the things that have to be struggled for to maintain the body are essentials and that sort of thing. So the reality from the spiritual point of view is that all of us are using our conscious attention in different ways that are sometimes beneficial, sometimes not. And to sort that out so that what you're doing is always beneficial, you need a spiritual guide. You need a spiritual master who has the understanding of what is actually beneficial and what is not. What yields the result you actually desire. Now the fool, he simply wants something right now in his hand. Hurry up, give it to me. Like a baby. You give a baby something, pop, in the mouth. It may not even food, but pop, right in the mouth. 
And the fool, he hasn't grown up past the baby. That's his perspective. Give me something in the now. That's all I want right now. Right now. Give me next, 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 next. He's consumer. He's consuming. The intelligent person is going, give me a solution that may take time to fructify. But if I have a method and I have the knowledge and I understand, then I can gradually work myself to where I achieve the result I'm looking for. So it's like the good things you have to earn and the cheap things, yeah, they come easy. So we have a society that's looking for cheap things. And it just leaves a lot of anxiety going around because the cheap things don't really re reward us properly. So the Vedic literature says you surrender to a spiritual master who has seen the truth and can impart it to you without adulteration. You follow his instructions and you learn for yourself by testing, by experiencing, by contemplating, by following until you realize, oh, I am getting closer to the result I wanted. And you keep patience. You have faith and determination and enthusiasm not to give up because you understand something this great something this important and vast for the lifetime of a human isn't going to come overnight it isn't going to be cheap so this is the uh, intelligent side of man when he gets above these temporary I needs I want I care about this and that and the other thing and he comes back to asking himself and then a spiritual master, what is actually to my best self-interest? What should I do to uplift myself, my consciousness, outside of the cycle of birth and death? When he comes to that platform, this is the beginning of spiritual life. Real spiritual life, not religious life, spiritual life. Because spiritual life is where you change the mentality and you change your uh, objective and you change your expected result. It shifts, and in general terms, it shifts from selfishness to selflessness. Now, I'm not trying to get for me. I'm not trying to make more, achieve more, bargain more, business more. I'm trying to taste the other side of it where one gives and shares, is compassionate, honest, caring. We're seeing to other people's uh, solutions to problems. Not like temporary happiness, just giving shit away and money and acting foolish. But we're talking about actually helping people solve life-level problems. They don't understand. They've got a lot of baggage. They were abused, maybe, as children or young people. And they've got all sorts of emotional baggage. They've all sorts of confusion. Another way, aspect is bad education. Doesn't mean they didn't go to school. It means they got educated poorly. And they don't feel as I never, I never got anything out of school. It, it just didn't make sense to me. It just wasn't any value. But I have all these uh, perspectives and ideas, but nobody would ever talk about it. Nobody would ever help me. So you need to have guidance to put all these things in proper perspective. And you go, wow, they're really intelligent and really capable and really kind and good people. They've just been neglected. And the world is full of people like that. There is a lot of people that are actually willing, trying, endeavoring, hoping, planning to get their act together, to see things in proper perspective, to end up feeling good at the end of their life. Wow, I, I feel like I really used my lifetime a lot. Uh, productively 
I feel rewarded for seeing, thinking back about all the people I helped, about all the people I met and got to know, about all the people that shared with me their life story and I shared with them mine. And we found, wow, we're very much the same. Irrespective of how we look and what lump of flesh is covering us, we as living entities, spiritual souls, we're very much the same. We all have the same desire to be happy, to be loved, to have someone to love. We all have such similarities, and yet we aren't looking at that. We're like crowds of lonely people. <laughs> We're not communicating. And with the advent of electronic devices, this has been exasperated m multiple times. So many people. Uh, I had a man talking to me the day going, oh, you see them come to the restaurant, they sit down and they take out their phones and they fiddle on their phones. They don't even talk to each other. Well, hey, baby, you want to go out on a date? We'll sit and look at our phones together. No. So we have to recognize and we have to accept what is really good for us versus not good for us. And then you save your own soul. You save your soul, you save yourself from the cycle of birth and death. You come to the platform of what is service, what is selfless. We're all servants in some capacity or another to someone or something in or another. We're all serving. So the right service, the service that is highest is the service of love of God. What is the Lord's plan? How do I fit into it? How can I make a contribution there? When you come to that level and you ask those questions, that's spiritual life. That is there. That is where you're going. Uh, service in devotion and love is the path, the method, it's the goal, and it's the ultimate happiness all rolled into one. And there's no restriction. You can begin as soon as you understand. And this is why so many beings for centuries have followed the great masters. Because the potency is in the instruction. They don't take control of your life and your wallet. They're giving you knowledge and instruction of how to see what is devotional life. What is spiritual life? What is the point of view that one who is advanced in spiritual life has? How does one uh, live, you know, walk the talk? So... We surrender to a spiritual master. We listen and follow the instructions of the spiritual master. And through that method, we become educated in spiritual science. And when we have that education, we can move on. We move on and continue to follow higher and higher and higher and higher levels of instructions from the spiritual master. We don't, it's not like you take a teacher and you go, you're there for a year and you walk out. You take a spiritual master for life. Because life has its evolutionary process. You see things much different at 10, 12, 25, 45, 65. You see life different, very different in all those different junctures. And in every level, there are so many different confusing things and issues that come up and difficulties. So the spiritual master's instructions cover the whole life. But, so, but you have, may have not has it you don't necessarily have the perspective now to answer the questions that will arise later 
So it evolves your understanding, the instructions of the spiritual master, the issues that you face in life. They all evolve together. This is spiritual life. It's not stagnation. It's life. You, the eternal living entity, has a relationship with the spiritual master. And he eternally associates with you and helps you to get through all the issues and to come to the platform where you are engaged in spiritual life with correct spiritual consciousness. And your intent, your sincerity has been purified. And you live a life of happiness and full contribution at the love of God level, at the kindness to all beings level, at the beneficial uh, contribution to humanity. In the Vedic literature, it is described using the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, chanting the holy name of the Lord, even other names of the Lord than those in the Maha Mantra. If you chant the names of the Lord, there is a potency in them that is for purification and stabilizing and purifying the mind. And the spiritual master always encourages one to use the name of the Lord properly, respectfully, and receive that potency and develop the love of God that's inherent in the chanting process and in the surrender to the spiritual master. Our spiritual master, his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, has altered the course of the human civilization by his books that give clear, concise, unadulterated instructions to every living entity. You only need to go buy a Bhagavad Gita as it is and read it. And you can read it again and again as life goes on. And you get more and more guidance and instruction from a bona fide spiritual master who's fully realized. This is what we all need. We don't need hearsay in the literary form or in the personal form. We need bona fide instruction that gives us an understanding clearly of how to get through this material existence and free ourselves and save our soul. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.